Welcome to the Who's He Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this week's show, we'll return to the world of the Target novelisation. And we're doing our very first Seventh Doctor story. And we've picked Battlefield. Yes, uh, or it, it picked us. It picked sure. us, I think. Yes, yes. So we, um, well, we were meant to do this quite some time ago, but we neither of us got around to reading it, did we? <laughs> <laughs> neither of us could face it. No. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, here we are at last. Here we are at last. We're, we're finally gonna, we're finally gonna do it. So um, find out what we think of that later on. Uh, but first, as usual, let's have some news in a very, very slow news week, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, very, very slow news. Very slow. Um, unfortunately, though, we have to sort of start off the news with uh, uh, another sad loss to the world of Doctor Who. Uh, Barry Newbury has died at the age of eighty-eight. Now he was a designer. Our set designer, um, going back to the William Hartnell years, and we actually designed the sort of the set for um, the very first story, actually, an earthly child. They had to design the uh, the cavemen settlement, the Stone Age settlement. Um, I mean, he's done some pretty important stories, hasn't he? He has. I mean, if you just look at the list, then there is certainly. Yeah, I mean, if we're going of, the, to... of the early ones that do stand out there. Yeah. Particularly, Time Meddler, I think I quite liked in terms of the, well, the I mean, that as a set. Well, one thing I didn't realise as well, he had to completely recreate the original junkyard set and yeah. the school set, which had been amazingly destroyed when the pilot episode was filmed. Or after BBC destroying Doctor Who stuff as soon as it's finished with. There's a shock. There's a shock <laughs> for you. Yeah. <laughs> that started as they meant to continue, didn't they? <laughs> Well, I mean, just to go through the ones that he, he was involved in, um, he did, obviously, Unearthly Child, um, Time Meddler, as you just mentioned there, Paul. He did Marco Polo, the Aztecs, the Crusade. He did um, the first ever Doctor Who Christmas episode, The Feast of Stephen, uh, which we'll never know how that turned out. Um, he did the, then the five remaining episodes of the Daleks' Master Plan. He did The Ark, so we got into thank for the security kitchen. Uh, and then he recreated the town of Tombstone for the gunfighters. Yes, which uh, is something... Which we'll, we'll come to later, shortly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, then he did some work on the second Doctor as well. He did the Dominators. Then he did um, the Silurians for the third Doctor. And then he did three fourth Doctor stories, the Brain of Morbius, which looks fantastic, doesn't it? Yeah, that old, from, from every angle. It does. Actually. It's brilliant. Um, the Mask of Mandragora, again, which is another... He seemed to do a lot of period ones, didn't he? I think that, that yeah, was, but they, uh, they sort of split them, didn't they? He did the uh, more historical and yeah. period stuff. Uh, then he did The Invisible Enemy. And then the final one he did was The Awakening, which was pseudo-historical, wasn't it? Yeah. That one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, utterly fantastic work he did. Uh, not only did he work on Doctor Who, did The Aneedian Line, Prince Regent, The Citadel, Shadow of the Tower. I don't know what, what they are, but he did Zed Carl, Softly, Softly. It's something called The Expert. Yes. But uh, but one other thing is what well, you also did Dad's Army and Sykes. Yeah, Sykes leapt off the <laughs> Yes indeed, Sykes. Brilliant. I just wonder if I just wonder if he's responsible for that for that set, the living room set. Because yeah. that's, that's the one thing I can remember out of that with the, the front door and the staircase nearby. That's one thing I can remember out of Sykes. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just uh, I mean, it is a shame really, because I mean it's a shame that some of his work you can no longer see. It is, isn't it? I mean, it's well that's <laughs> Uh, As you said, that's the, things, yeah, yeah. the BBC destroying something connected yeah. to Doctor Who. Yeah, unbelievable. As unbelievable. Say, it's probably as it started, it ended sort of thing. Yeah, I know. But, uh, but he covered sixty-two episodes of Doctor Who, and that that's quite some record. I think. It, I mean, as we as we said, we, we I mean we love the Brain of Morbius anyway. Um, and, yeah, and it is a. It looks, it does, it looks absolutely fantastic. The whole thing about it is, 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 is just brilliant. It really is. It's so, such an atmospheric set as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, as I think, as we said when we did the um, commentary to it, the fact that basically from different, how it looks so different, the set, how it could look so different from the different angles they yeah. shot it from, and must have been a good one to direct in. I'd it have must have been. It must have been. 
So, um, but again, a, a very, very sort of sad loss. A sad loss. And again, so, some, one of those jobs you think must must have been a a great job until you got the your budget. <laughs> exactly, it must be really frustrating for any set designer because you yeah. you're sort of like, okay, this is what we need, and you think, oh, we can do this and that. that. You've got these wonderful ideas, and as you say, you see what the money you've got to spend is out. Oh, you you, you know, yeah. you, you, you've got a, a show that could let your imagination run wild. And a yeah. budget that doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, they must all have suffered in the in the day. Actually, yeah. they probably still do now. Actually, I mean, they've got yeah. a bit more of a budget to play around with, but they're, they're still restricted in what they can do and what money they can spend. So, but um, but anyway, here's here's to all these fantastic work. Really, yeah. You know, it's it's brilliant. Um, but as as we said, the gunfighters. Um, now, I thought. I thought should we call this news? Actually, should we, should we go into that next after, after we cover the series nine news? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so we'll we'll sort of announce what what's coming up on the podcast in March. We'll, we'll treat that as news, shall we? This <laughs> is how slow news. It's how slow it is. We're actually treating our own podcast as news now. So, okay, right. <laughs> There's no other Doctor Who on. <laughs> no, there isn't. So, where are you going to be doing that, there, listeners? Come on. <laughs> right um, now, uh, series nine. Filming news. Now, they're currently filming in Tenerife at the moment, and there have been a few uh, photos doing the rounds. Now, I say a few, I mean three that I've seen anyway in the last couple of days, and they don't give anything away, really. Um, there's one at the back of Peter Capaldi sitting in his um, in his actor's chair. Yes. Uh, so you see the back of his head in between takes. So again, it's not a spoilery photograph. Um there's one taken from a long distance, which apparently Missy is in, but how you could tell it's actually Michelle Gomez, I've got absolutely no idea. It's so... Oh. Now, that is a spoiler. <laughs> well, we've already said that she was in it, didn't we, last week? Yeah. So, um, but the third photograph, I would say is a spoiler. Because yeah. it features something, doesn't it? Because I think this is for filming episodes one and two, which they're doing in Tenerife right now. So um, it does feature something. But we're not going to say what it is. No, no, because it is a, that is a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I might be even better though. Is when this, these shows are aired. That is not in it. <laughs> oh no, exactly. <laughs> just been brilliant. They just got some random to pose in a photograph. But but what I'm looking at though, I don't know if this. Are you looking at it right now, Paul? Yes. Okay. <laughs> at least I'm zoom on looking at the same thing as you. I don't know. All, 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 <laughs> Can all, never be sure. All I'm all I'm going. <laughs> All I'm going to say is, um, excellence. That's all I'm going to say. Actually, yes. that's all I'm going to say on that. That that's the first thing that sort of um, sort of sprung to mind. Yeah, we're not saying that they are because they're not, but it might be. Who knows? <laughs> it doesn't say. It honestly doesn't say. It's an it's an it's an off. It's a, <laughs> that's turned that's turned into a clue from three, two, one. There's actually. <laughs> Honestly, no, and honestly, the photograph, it's, they're not even in costume, are they? Apart from no. this one person. So well, we presume not. We presume, yeah. Neither Capaldi or Jenna, Jenna Coleman are actually in costume. So, um, yeah, the, what, this, what this other thing is, we don't know. No. We have absolutely no idea. I would just love it if it just never appears in Doctor Who. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> it's got some random person. It's some passerby who actually looks like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dangers of sunbeds. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, we won't. See, I mean, if you, it'll be out there if you want to look at it. But obviously, we're, yeah. we're not going to point you in its direction because we we try to sort of stay away from spoilers on here. Um, but uh, but there you are. There you are. Um, now, the other bit of news we we sort of briefly mentioned was uh, what's coming up on the podcast in March. Now, we mentioned the gunfighters, didn't we? Yes. Yes, because in March this year, um, it is our fourth anniversary of the podcast. Yes, we can't believe we've been churning this rubbish out for four, nearly four years now. <laughs> what was that about? How many, so much of my life I'm not going to get back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's four years gone. Um, <laughs> Where we mind about Miracle Day. How much? <laughs> yeah, we've made our listeners suffer a lot more than that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, so um, what we. What we have done before uh, for our previous anniversaries, we, we usually like to try and do a commentary. Yes. So that's what we're going to be doing. So that means the long overdue return of the podcast of Tony, 
He hasn't been on the podcast. Podcast, sorry, uh, the podcast. <laughs> I like you who've been on the beer by the sound. I'm just looking at different <laughs> photographs to you. That's all. Yes, on the podcast. Yes, yeah, we haven't prodded tone on the podcast since uh, July last year, have we? No. So, um, yes, a long overdue return to uh, to Tony, and uh, yes, we're going to be doing the Gunfighters. Hooray! Right, I yes. can't believe we picked that actually, but we thought we haven't done a partner one for a <laughs> we, long, long we, we time. We picked that. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> pick- no, I picked that then, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to do the audio commentary for the gunfire. So that'll be spread out over two weeks, like we usually do with our with our commentaries. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then sort of next week is a break week, isn't it? It is. Yes. Next week's a break week, and then when we come back after that. Uh, then we're doing a big finish one, which we'll say at the end of the show. And then after that, the next two weeks after that, which will probably take us up to the end of March, really, uh, will be the commentary. Yeah. And then after that, um, not long after that, actually, will be our 200th episode as well, hmm. which I don't know what we're going to do for that yet. No. Probably just the same old crap, really. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why change now? No, exactly. Why change that bit of a lifetime? <laughs> we're too far down this road to turn back. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't think we're going to do anything special for... We have, we didn't do it for the 100th one, and I, I dare say we won't do it for the 200th either. But, uh, but there you are. It's, it's, it's a milestone, isn't it? <laughs> and, and there you've just... Deflated done. the whole podcast? I don't know. Oh, no. Well, Martin from Bad Wolf Podcast, who's on the 100th podcast. Oh, yeah, we did. Sorry, Martin. <laughs> do you know what? When we did that, I didn't even realise it was our 100th episode. Yeah, he had to remind me. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe, no, maybe... no, we... Yes, yes, we won't do something special like we did for the hundredth and have Martin on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you meant to say. Well, you couldn't be bothered to turn up for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and there is my contempt for the podcast in one <laughs> sounding. To cut the two hundredth, it'd just be me, wouldn't it, talking to myself? <laughs> no, just put, we'll just put out blank air, won't we? <laughs> it'd probably be an improvement, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that, that'd be our most downloaded episode. <laughs> I might just do that just for the fun of it now, actually. <laughs> 45 minutes of silence. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, shall we continue? Yes. Well, just... I don't know. I mean... Well, no, it's not bother. <laughs> if we don't, jack... we won't get to the 200. Let's just jack it in now, actually. <laughs> uh, right, okay, then. So, um, yes, that's the, it for the news, because we really did pad that one out, and very tenuously as well, I might add. But we do have time to go to Omega's Tat Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Now, you've been a bit of a tat quest, haven't you? Um, these things just, just found me, I think. <laughs> they searched you out, did they? Okay, um, well, the first one we have... on the um... door late at night. <laughs> well, the first one we have for your delectation, uh, dear listeners, is... Uh, <laughs> A Doctor Who apron in a tube. Um, yes, it's an apron uh, with the 12th Doctor <laughs> outfit on the front. I mean, it hasn't even got a photograph of the apron itself, just the tube. <laughs> yes, I, I think something that we all need to see. Is that yeah, it? now... Um, why, 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 why in a tube? Why in a I tube? Mean... I don't know. It seems to be the main selling <laughs> I don't know, point. Like packaging tube. I oh, I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that, sorry. thought it was a box. Um, yeah, I, there's making a big thing about the fact it's in a tube. Now, I don't know what, what makes that so special. I've got absolutely no idea. But um, we're not entirely it's, sure it's, if it's people this... would be marketing crisps as potato in a bag. <laughs> well, we're not sure, though, if this has actually been out before. We haven't seen it, have we? I'm quite sure we would have no. covered this if we had. Because um, it just says, says stock on the way. Yes. And this is from Forbidden Planet International as well. So um, this can be yours for the price of ten ninety nine, which is a fifteen percent saving. Oh, there you that's go. a sensible percentage at percentage. last. <laughs> yes, they have actually. Yes, yeah, a sensible percentage because uh, originally it was twelve ninety nine. Um, so uh, yes, it says the twelfth Doctor emerged from his predecessor's explosive regeneration on Trenzalor, being the product of regeneration number thirteen. He was the first incarnation of the Doctor's second regeneration cycle. Jesus Christ, they're really padding this one out. Which has been bestowed upon <laughs> him by the Can Time they Lords. Do the news for us next week. I think they are good for being played, as sponsored by Forbidden Planet. Uh, Clara Oswald continued her travels with him after he regenerated, served as his primary companion, and at times acted as his moral compass, and stuffed his apron in the tube, it seems, as well. <laughs> yes. 
Jesus Christ. That that is um yeah, that's amazing. That doesn't actually say anything about the apron itself. No, how big it is, what it's made of, or anything. No, it just All gives, it is that it yeah, comes in a tube. Yeah, and it gives you a little potted history of the Twelfth Doctor so far. <laughs> I will ignore that one, and that's crap. I, um, I always find that's the problem, though, when I'm cooking. If I don't know what the potted history of the apron I'm wearing is, it just doesn't work. <laughs> oh, God. That is amazing. Um, anyway, let's move on, because there's nothing to say about that all we know is it falls under the category of kitchenware <laughs> yes that's well, it so we know it's for use well, in the kitchen i was gonna say well that's that's the, i don't know is that is that certain <laughs> well otherwise it would have been under the section of corpse this man uh, this moment, <laughs> wouldn't it so <laughs> i always get those two confused exactly <laughs> anyway that's why my dinner party is always been doing early <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not many dinner parties supposed to end up with your guests out your, your flat screaming, are they? <laughs> Covered in claret. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay, now um, we've got some. Um, now have we? We have covered stuff from the Danbury Mints before, haven't we? Um, the name yes, I think they, they've done the odd. Um, I think I think I think I've got a funny feeling these are the Cliff Richard Plate people. Oh, oh, oh I'm not saying anything about that right now. Um, no, 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 definitely not. Oh. Um, there's this. This is uh, from the Danbury Mint. It is a Doctor Who ingot collection. Yes, each one basically it's, it's all twelve Doctors on a little uh, rectangular um, ingot. Um, which has got the Doctor Who logo on the reverse sides, and it looks just like a printed photograph, doesn't it? Yeah. In colour. Lovely rich colours. Um, on the front side, they are uh, two inches or five centimetres tall. Um, does it actually say what they're made out of? Or just says they're finely crafted? Yes. Um, and they're just ingots. Doesn't actually say what they're made out of, which is no. amazing. But they are going for the price of £14.95 each. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, when, if you order these from Danbury Mint, you get two a month. So you have to pay for your ingots at the rate of two a month. It actually says you will receive and may pay for your ingots hmm. at the rate of two. I, look, a month. I can't seem to give away one for free each month. Oh. Pay for one um, or pay for none. Um, now this also uh, comes with a, a handsome. Is that the word it's called? The handsome display case as well. Yes. There you yes. Go, yeah. Um, now the display case is ninety-five centimeters wide, uh, thirty-three centimeters high, and two point five centimeters deep. And will look impressive wherever you decide to hang it. Indeed, that's what it says. Um, it says <laughs> the um, yeah each ing- it says, each ing- is encapsulated to protect and preserve it for many years. Uh, the special design wooden display frame is the perfect way to show a collection at its best. Designed using official BBC photographs at almost a metre in length, this wooden display frame will look impressive wherever you decide to hang it. And this is this is the good bit, and it's yours for only the same price as two ingots. <laughs> yes. Mm. You don't get much much valued at two ingots nowadays, do you? You don't really. Um, yeah, this just sounds like you need to barter to get the frame, actually, <laughs> doesn't it? It's just... <laughs> I'm not going to pay you two ingots, so I'm going <laughs> to... I've got two piglets. <laughs> two ingots and the crown of the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think I'll be buying this one. No, really. I don't think no, so. No, no. It, it looks like those old... Um, my dad collected them in, in the 1966 World Cup. He, he collected these Esso coins, which was each one had the picture of the um, England, an England squad player on it. Oh, yes, yes, I've seen those, yes. Yes, yeah. And my dad's still got it, and it's complete as well. I actually don't know if it's worth it. And, it, and it's in the, in the display album as well, so um, I don't know if it's actually worth anything. Probably not. But did he get Did he get the display thing for the price of two coins? <laughs> God knows, God knows. Right, well, uh, next up, uh, you found uh, some... Well, actually, it's quite apt, really, because of the weather we've, we've had in the UK lately. Uh, you found a couple of uh, TARDIS umbrellas for us, haven't you? I have, yes. Yes, um, from a, a, a company called Lavazzi. Yeah, they're the ones that have been doing the scarves and the... Yes, and the uh, sweaters and, and stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, the first one is an official Doctor Who Time Lord folding umbrella. It's not rated yet. I don't know what that means. It's just... 
Brixton. No, no, nobody's had the guts to buy it. It's an 18 certificate, I think they were. Um, yes. so it's only available for pre-order, that's why. Yeah, oh. So item the... will be available on the 3rd of, the 10th of March. Oh, right, well, you've got long to wait then. Um, so, the product details of this says, it materialising out of the vortex, our folding auto-open and close umbrella is bigger on the inside. Based on the 9th and 10th Doctor's iconic TARDIS... I can't see any evidence of that there at all, actually. Our exclusive oh. umbrella will keep you dry, whether on Spiridon or Scaro, New Earth or our own Earth. This is an umbrella the Doctor would be proud of. With an automatic open and close, all we have to do is press a button on the comfortable plastic and rubber-coated handle to unveil a 21-inch or 53.3-centimetre canopy and display your Hoovian credentials with pride. <laughs> I think you'd get arrested for that, wouldn't you? I think you would, though. <laughs> Excuse me, I feel I'm just displaying my Hoovian credentials with pride. Especially with it 21 <laughs> inches of rubber-coated handle. <laughs> um, decorated with the TARDIS <laughs> on, on an alien landscape, the umbrella is comprised of an aluminium shaft and durable fibreglass frame, ideal for taking with you on your journeys into time and space. Okay. This umbrella will set you back £34.99. Yes. Yeah, they can get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot for an umbrella, isn't it? Is. It is. Shall we see how much the next one is? Yes. Yes, let's. Um, this is a Doctor Who TARDIS stick umbrella with a 23-inch canopy. Um, now, this one hasn't been rated either. It's available to pre-order. And I shall read you the blurb first. It says, press a button and our exclusive TARDIS umbrella opens up into a 23-inch canopy. Um, every time the TARDIS materialises in a new location, within the first nanosecond of landing, it, it analyses its surroundings and calculates a 12-dimensional data map of everything within a 1,000-mile radius and determines which outer shell will blend in best with the environment. Then it disguises itself as a police telephone box in 1963. Bit of a thought, actually. Looks cool, though. What the hell's that got to do with the umbrella? Oh, um, yeah. oh, here we go. That's why our new umbrella displays that iconic design with pride across its 23-inch or 58.4-centimetre canopy, opening at the touch of a button, made from durable fibreglass complete with luxurious rubber-coated handle. Oh, this one's luxurious. Um, it's perfect for anywhere you find yourself in time and space. This one will also set you back £34.99. Uh, again, they can get stuffed. Really. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately for our listeners outside of the UK, they are unable to ship this umbrella outside of the UK. And, and what's a- interesting on that one, yes, is, it, is that that one they say that, the previous one... Well, the previous one... Seem- no, the previous one is a smaller one, isn't it? It's, but it's only, like, it's by, like, only by two, I was going to say only by two inches, but I suppose. <laughs> let people make their own minds up whether that makes a difference. Yeah, maybe, they, maybe there's something about they can't ship stick umbrellas or something. But it does say if you if an order is placed for delivery outside of the UK, unfortunately, they will have to cancel that. Yeah, do you, do you want to say, do you think it's, it's, the, it's the handle that does it? It might be. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? You can't yeah. put that into... You, you can't, can't put, put that on... A, you can't, can't put, put that, that through customs. There's <laughs> no... Exactly not. No, that's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? That's really weird. So there you are. I think we we ended attack uh, corner on a real downer there, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we did, yes. Now we've got to go out and decide why we can't have that sort of umbrella. Oh no, that's just really bizarre. Really bizarre. I like, let's all go to America and place an order for a million and see how they start <laughs> when yeah, they exactly. <laughs> Right, okay then. So uh, that's it for the news. That's it for Tat Corner. Um, and to further bring the podcast down, we're going to do a review of Battlefield Target Novelization next. So, <laughs> so for another week then, that was the news. Right then, everyone. It's time for another Target Novelization review. And this time, as we said at the top of the show, we have selected... Battlefield, which is a Seventh Doctor Sylvester McCoy story. Um, yes, we finally got there, Paul. Yes. We finally got there. We're here I, with it. We're, we're here getting with... it out of the way. <laughs> Indeed. Now, as usual with our Target um, book reviews, we do make comparisons to the televised serial as well. So um, apologies if you've never read Battlefield. Um, tough, really. It's, it's been out for over 20 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations, yes. So... Um, Actually, it's been out for over 20 years. It's the first time we bloody read it. So um, here we go then. Here we go. And it's my turn to go first, isn't it? It is you to go first. It is my turn to go first. Okay. Um, 
Well, I must admit, I found this, to begin with, in particular, a real slog to get through. Um, and I think mainly because it's all the extra padding at the beginning, which didn't really add anything to the story, to my mind. No, um, no I mean, if, if you know the Orthurian legend, it doesn't really help, does it? I mean, no. it is there in case you don't know, but then it doesn't really go into enough detail to explain it. So it just throws up even more of a confusion, I think. Yeah. Now, I think one thing to sort of get out of the way is the fact that the TV uh, series was written by Ben Aranovich, but the written version was done by Mark Platt. And apparently, I don't know why Ben Aranovich didn't um, didn't do this, but, um, but Mark Platt sort of take it upon himself, pretty much like Terence Dick's... Um, used to do with, with the target books. He wants to expand on the, the story and give the characters a bit more of a background and everything. Um, but I think, unfortunately, in this case, he expands on the Doctor's future, doesn't yeah. he? By saying, basically describing a future incarnation of the Doctor, which is now pretty redundant. I suppose at the time, they didn't think this was going to happen. They, they didn't think there was going to be a new series of Doctor Who, did they? So I suppose they no. thought they had carte blanche to do what they liked. Um Interesting thing was, though, he did describe the, the, the future Merlin Doctors having red hair. <laughs> if you can remember there that. You there you go. So, um, I was going to say, you hope for you there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that the book... once it, I think, for me, it only sort of really gets in its stride once um, Morgane finally arrives on, arrives on Earth and, and, yes. the brig, and the Brigadier's in the thick of the I action. was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Those two things happening, and suddenly we, we kick into the story. Definitely, definitely. It's um, yeah. I mean, so you get this like first chapter, which is all about the future Merlin Doctor, and again, it doesn't add anything because it's never really referred to again, is it? No. Um, and then, if if you remember the, the TV series, it sort of starts off the first time you see the Doctor is in the TARDIS, and the, all the lights are out, and he's working away, isn't he, on the TARDIS console? Um, which Mark Platt seems fit to describe in minute detail. So he, he relays loads of space-time coordinates to you. And I thought, oh, for God's sake, just get on with it. And this went on for ages. And there was, I mean, I did quite like the fact of the, the big storm and everything. Yeah. It was a bit more than you got from the TV series, which just didn't really, which gave you the fact that the radios were out. Yeah. To a large extent. The fact that there was this big storm going through, and it it was basically almost destroying the TARDIS mm. as well. It was quite good, whereas in the in the TV show, it just basically looks as if he's trying to save a bit of electricity bill, doesn't it? It does, really, doesn't it? Um, but I could have done without all the space-time coordinates being relayed over and over again. I mean, that was that was a really boring way to, to kick off a book, I found. <laughs> to be, I really did. Um, and I don't know about you, Paul, but I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of McCoy's stories. I don't think he was served very well, no. was he, really? No. And this doesn't really do much to sort of change my opinion. No. But but even the writers almost tro- said he doesn't like it, doesn't he? So. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, it was only meant to be three parts, wasn't it? It was, yeah. First of all. And then they sort of decided, oh, we, we can make this the four-part one. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether it, it just never, never worked, really. It... it, it the characters never really got fleshed out to make a four part one, and yet we got four parts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean the other thing as well. I mean, it didn't do. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the character of Ace, to be honest, because I, I just no. don't like the way um, the character is written. I like the way that they throughout the course of the series. Now we're not going to talk about the book now, but they sort of tried to give her character a bit more of an arc. Yeah. Um, but it was just that awful street dialogue they try to give her. Yeah. Um, and in the absence of being able to use any swear words, yeah. actually, which they do give Ace in it. She tells I was going to say, she does tell the... piss off, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a bit other bits in this that you think, oh, that's an interesting yeah. um, but... bit of phrase, but in, when they're in the circle. Yeah. Actually, no, that's, um, that's, did you get managed to watch it as well? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they do sort of well. fade it out, don't they? And you think, really? Yeah, because I'd forgotten. I, 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 no, I just recently watched it, but I did watch it again over the last couple of days um, after finishing reading the book. And I was quite surprised at the racial slur. Yes. I mean, I, I, uh, it was a long time since I've seen this. Yeah. 
Um, as we go into saying about McCoy stuff, I don't tend to reach for it as the first thing I think of when I'm. No, I don't. I don't. So it's a long time since I saw this, and almost came to the book anew, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was quite surprised with that and thought to myself, well, that was never going to have been in the series. And then was like, ah, oh, yeah, actually, they did put that bit in. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, it does do some good stuff. I mean, what I, one of the things I did like throughout the book was the Doctor trying to um, escape the fact that he would be Merlin in the future. Yeah. He was trying to avoid that, that destiny, wasn't he? He didn't want to sort of be part of it and and i did like the fact that he, there was no escape in it he couldn't no. change the future he was always destined to be merlin so i, I like that that aspect to it and it just well, yeah actually. there's the slowly you go from the him in total denial through to the okay yeah it would be me and yeah, that it, does it, come out much better in the book than it does on the yeah he just sort of accepts his fate doesn't he a lot more yeah uh, i did like that I just thought some other good things. Actually, there's other bits as well, sort of like the Peter Wormsley character, um, which never come across in the in the TV show. That when basically they blow up his archaeological dig, he almost has a breakdown. He, yeah, exactly. And he's, he's which, which I could imagine you probably would, would do. Be. You've been ten, spending ten, ten years, years on your knees with a, with a paintbrush, yeah, <laughs> unearthing it. So someone just comes along and just completely obliterates it. Yes, you would probably. You would be absolutely bloody furious. And um, and he was, and all the way through it when he's, he's I don't, well, it's one thing that, I, I don't know why they don't do this in the TV show or not, but he's, um, in the TV version, when he gets, the, he actually holds Excalibur, there's actually no recognition that I'm holding Excalibur. Yeah. But in the book, he's, he's, sort, of, he's sort of clinging onto it, isn't he? And he can't yeah. believe what's, what's happened. Yeah, it's, it's the one thing he's got back from his, basically, what, in his mental state now, is the fact yeah. that, he has at least got that. Yeah, and um, which I thought was a better way to handle that. Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, and again, I don't it just because of time constraints, or it had to be cut from, you know, it had to be cut from the script or, or whatever. I don't know, but that that does work better in the book. I've got to be honest. I really have got to be honest. Um, Apparently, I, they had to cut a lot of James Ellis, didn't they? Going on about Arthur and that. Did they really? I don't know. Yes. I haven't really looked, looked anything Appar- up Wikipedia. Apparently he decided he didn't have enough lines. <laughs> oh, so dear. learnt great bits of Le- lots Arthurian, of bits of Arthurian legend, legend and whatever. Oh, God. Well, I don't blame him if that's so the, 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 the scene, the scene where he's standing on the edge of the crater and starting to sort of give, the, give him the, 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 the history lesson or such, apparently goes on would, would have gone on for quite a while. <laughs> Well, at least he bothered to learn a lot, learn some history. Crikey. Yeah, no, well, I, I think mainly because he just wanted a, a long, a monologue. longer speech. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't blame him for that, really. Um, but I think the the whole description um, of all the knights do things a lot better in the book as well, and you, they actually does sort of play out the the alien technology a lot, a more. lot more. Yes, and it does I'll... give a bit more background of where they come from in, in this alternate universe. And what what that universe is like? Yes, uh, yeah, it's a lot more detail there. Which um, which, as background information goes, that I, I think that was probably needed, because in the TV show, it's not really laid out for you, is it? No. About where where they've actually come from, and I think in it, you're supposed to assume that um, they just King, arrived, just arrived, and, and, and King Arthur was an alien. But in the book, there appears to be almost like two King Arthurs. You got the you got the, um, the the Saxon warrior called Arthur, who just sort of like bands together all, all the, the 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 Saxon tribes, um, and then you have got this other Arthur as well, uh, yeah. which is the one of this story. So because the doctor keeps mentioning which Arthur are you talking about, yeah, which I thought was a, a good a, a good little spin on the story again, which wasn't whether was this was never thought about for the TV version. Or something that Mark Platt just, introduced himself. Yeah, or they just didn't have enough time. I don't know, or, yeah. or would have just taken too much more set designing. I don't know. It could have done. It could. I mean, have done. getting back to getting saying saying that, <clears throat> I've actually quite liked the Mordred's armor and Anselm's armor. 
Yeah. But it was just the, the foot soldiers' armour was just any bits that looked like any bits they could get out of BBC props, didn't it? <laughs> it did really. Well, it, was, it wasn't much of a pretense at armour anymore, was it, with the no. foot soldiers? Oh. So, but at least in the book, they do give this sort of... Um, what, or at least what, futuristic, what, what? the fact that, you know, the whole visor thing down across was, was, was inside that was a display. Yeah. But you see the soldiers in the, in, on the screen are basically just got it's no, no bit in front of their faces at all. So what was they doing? Well, the other thing as well is the fact that the, the armour, as, it, as it's described in the book, is that's how they travel between universes. Yeah. It's, it's mechanical and it's, yeah, it's, it's hydraulic like a, and everything. Isn't yeah, it? precisely. Which in the in the TV, but it is just armor. They're just taking it at face yeah. value, haven't they? It yeah, literally is just that. Um, but one thing I, I did like um, about it, as I say, the first half of the book I found really, really so and a real slog to get through. But the second half, I actually quite enjoyed. Once it got a bit more action orientated. And you got into the story a bit more. You did get into a bit more of a pace to it. Yeah, and I, then I began to enjoy it. Funnily enough, it's, it, I mean, to, it's a kind or paraphrase a, a footballing cliche. This was a book of two halves. Yeah, it really was. I just can't make up my mind whether I actually like this story or not. That's the problem. Well, I, I mean, I do like the Arthurian legend anyway. Um, yeah, and it's one of those sort of legends I just wish was based on. It was true, really. I loved, I loved the whole thing of Camelot and Knights of the Round Table and, and Excalibur and all that and the, 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 the Land of the King of One, all that sort of stuff. So I, I, yeah. I love all that. Um, and I think the book tried sort of tried to play up to that a little bit more than the TV yeah. version did. It's almost sort of like the TV version sort of like, okay, here we've got uh, King Arthur, who you're never actually going to see because he's dead, um, Mordred, Morgane... Anselm was like um, made that. None of the knights that you know from the Round Table are actually alive anymore yeah. either. So it was sort of referencing Arthur, but then trying to distance itself from that legend at the same time. If you see what I mean. Yeah. But I think the book, to my mind, tried to embrace that a little bit more, um, which I preferred. If I'm honest. And as you say, I think it does pick up. When the brigadier arrives, brigadier Leftbridge. It, it does, arrives. yeah, it certainly As, does. And just just because he's such a great character. Yeah, it uh, is. I mean, I mean, I like the more the backstory about him and Doris, which I think works better in the book as well than it does on the screen. Because I don't think in the book she's quite so all a surprise to her. The the book actually the backstory to the in the book could have actually been better. It seemed to be rushed through the. The bit about you know she goes looking for him after seeing him on the telly and yeah seemed to be a bit hmm, not quite sure if, if you're going to bother to put a backstory in at least then give that a bit of but what uh, I, did, I did like that there was more of, a, more, more of a factor that she was worried that he hadn't called her after, yeah. after he left to go to Carberry um, I, I just like the fact that there was there was her at home worrying about the brigadier. Yeah. Whereas in the TV version, it was just sort of Doris was forgotten about once the brigadier was at Carberry, then wasn't seen again until the very end. Yeah, until he says, "I'm going home to my wife." Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, but I like the fact they they Mark Platt saw fit to keep going back to 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 Doris. Yeah, um, just just yeah. just the fact that you'd think that she would have to. She seemed to not know anything about his character when she's saying, you know, about you don't have to go and all this. Well, you think actually, if you'd live with the man. You would have known that was exactly what, what he was going to do. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I think doesn't doesn't the book go into um, something like that? She she didn't like to pry. Basically, yeah. she, she didn't she didn't want to know too much about what, or he wouldn't tell her too much about yeah. what he did. But she did know of the doctor. Yeah, and she knew basically that if this moment come, he'd yeah he'd go. So yeah. you know, there wasn't quite the. Oh, I can't believe you're going and you're leaving me and whatever. Yeah, that's it. In the book, it was more a case of, well, he, I, I, I'll help you get almost. I help you get ready because I know you're going. Yeah, and, and I also I, think, I can't stand in your way. I think the other thing about the brigadier as well. I think that um, his interaction between him and Morgane when when they're at the um, when he walks past her at the the, the cemetery. I was going to say actually the the bit with the um, sort of standing in. Honor of the fallen soldiers, yeah, actually works really well. It it gets a bit lost in the; it's too rushed in the. 
TV. TV. It is far too rushed. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I mean, the, the book paints it more of a picture of two warriors yeah. meet and having an understanding. Yeah, there's that two t- honourable people. Yeah, because you get in, in the book... Um, actually, probably better if I describe the TV version first. When Morgane recognises that the Brigadier is the one who says, oh, how goes the day? Yeah. He's still got his gun levelled at her. Yeah. But in the book, the Brigadier recognises that as a form of parley, so he, he holsters his weapon. Yeah. So they're just talking. It was, it was like a like a truce. He recognised that there's a truce being offered. And I like that fact that the, he, he bought that out of the Brigadier rather than just sort of stand with his gun, which the TV show tends to do with the Brigadier. He just seems to shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. But in the book, they make him more of a, a professional soldier. Yeah. Really, which which I much prefer, and that's how the Brigadier started out originally in the TV show, wasn't he? He, he was the professional soldier and wasn't the you know the blundering buffoon he became in the end, unfortunately. Mm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, to, be, to be perfectly honest, actually, he, he does get back in this story. He does get back to that, doesn't he? The he's he's the no nonsense action man in this, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Um. Even down to the point where um he's driving the Range Rover. Yeah, and he does this sort of handbrake turn that knocks over three of the knights as well. So not only is he sort of he's actually adopting the sort of like the, the typical escape maneuvers that you would have in, in that kind of situation. Well, they're, they're taught really, I think, in those sort of situations that he also tries to take out some of the enemy with it as well. Yes, should be typical. You feel it's typical of him. Exactly, exactly. Um, and also, Phil um, Brigadier Bambera is written better. In the book, and I think her and Anselin's budding relationship is also handled better in the book as well. Because I mean, watching the TV one, I think Bambera is a ridiculous character. Yeah, um, she, she, she arrives very battle weary, doesn't she? At in, the start of this, in the book, she does. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Because it does. She just arrived back from somewhere else, doesn't she? Then she's asked yeah. to go to to clear up this. Um, nuclear missile thing in in Carberry. So it's much better done. It really, and, and she gets more of a, um, a backstory as well. I still can't quite figure out, when she said, oh, my name's Winifred Bambera, Winifred? Why does everyone sound surprised that her name's Winifred? It's not explained in the book either, is it? Um, isn't it some sort of... Isn't there supposed to be... Doesn't it, in the book it says there's some sort of derivative to back to Genevieve? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it does say that. In does the it book. say? I honestly don't remember reading that, but because when yeah. it, it's on the you know on the watch on the TV thing, I go, what? It doesn't make any sense. Why is even the Brigadiers going? Lethbridge Stewart saying Winifred? You know, it just doesn't seem. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't quite figure out why. Does everyone so surprised at her name? But, yeah, no, I think that's what it is. I think it's supposed to be back yeah. to. She's then uh, to. You're supposed to be thinking that then she's then the Genevieve. Yeah. To this. Oh right. This okay. Half story. You mean uh, Guinevere? Guinevere. Yeah. Genevieve. That's Genevieve. A, I don't know where that came. That's a film with Kenneth Moore, isn't it? It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's in, it's an old car, anyway. So there you go. <laughs> and we get another one in it. Yeah, exactly. It's the best if we get Genevieve. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, well, as I say, I, I did prefer the way that Bambera is written in the book, um, and also Mordred as well is so much better in the book. Um, yeah, his relationship with Morgane is better explained as well, and also the fact that Morgane always wishes he's just a, just a basically a drunk playboy, isn't he? He is, he is basically. Um, and in the book, Morgane always wishes that the Knight Commander was sort of more more of a chosen one than Mordred because he's, yeah. he's a better um, a better soldier, better knight, honourable. Etc. Etc. So, um, but plus the fact as well, you can get over. Um, I, I can't remember the actor's name um, in the TV one, but he is a terrible, terrible actor who seemed fit to shout all his words out. Um, and that ridiculous, evil cackling he did when he was summoning Morgane, yeah, was just plain embarrassing to be honest. So at least with the book, I could sort of put that out of my mind, which <laughs> I think Mark Platt did a good job of because I didn't when I was reading the book. I didn't once think about the, t- the televised version. But as I say, I sort of come to the book with not much preconceived memories of, well, preconceived ideas to, to bring from the TV series. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, I think, because I've watched it quite recently, 
Um, so it's still fairly fresh in my mind when I was reading the book. And then I watched it again when I finished reading the book. Yeah. Just to sort of re-refresh my memory. Uh, yeah, so the, I mean, actually the acting um, throughout isn't that great at all, to be honest. Everybody's, apart from Nicholas Courtney, yeah. who's just fantastic, um, nobody comes out of this great, if I'm honest. Every, everybody does slightly go a bit over the top. Oh, they? God. I mean, McCoy in particular. Um, it's over that Sophie Aldred goes over the top as well, and uh, so I say some of the the lines she is given, and and the um, sort of like calling people toad face and you toe rag and things yeah. like that. Um, that doesn't get corrected in the book either. Come the end, it's almost if like because come the end, it's almost like Mark Platt's given up on trying to change Ace's um, dialogue compared to the it's, TV version. I, I think it's just decides it's too ingrained. I think probably, probably. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I'm just not um, a, 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 a great fan, to be honest. And plus, the other good thing about the book as well, you don't have to listen to Kef McCulloch's bloody awful incidental I was gonna, music. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was really going to say that. Yeah. That is, that is incidental music to save actors acting, isn't it? <laughs> that is. Um, and also misplaced music at that. Yeah. It's just awful. You just think to yourself, you didn't need to come in there with a the dramatic sound because actually just let the actor do it with his face, with his face or her well, face. There's, well, there's, there's, one, there's, one, there's one bit, I can't which scene it is, there's one bit it sounds like Brother Beyond <laughs> from the 80s. It sounds like the harder I try. And there's another bit with um, one of the battle scenes. It uh, goes Miami Vice. <laughs> with all the sort of... It's all that Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's the most <laughs> misplaced. for a Ferrari to come flying through. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Sort of Anson to start wearing pastel colours. I'm <laughs> <laughs> rolling his sleeves up. <laughs> oh, God. Anselin's theme, yes. <laughs> <laughs> rolling the sleeve of his, of his armour up. <laughs> Oh, anyway, back to the book. Back to the book. Um, the one thing that the TV show didn't really explain um, was the the fact that Arthur's spaceship was grown and not built, yes. and which the Doctor helped build or helped grow as well. Which um, which I much prefer. I like that that whole organic side to it. Well, you get the feeling that all of their stuff is though, don't you? Because yeah. when they talk about the helicopter. Well, they just being an, mechanical and what do they call it? An ornithopter or something, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, isn't an ornithopter supposed to be like a almost like a dragonfly with the double wings? Isn't that what an ornithopter supposed to be? I don't know. I, th- I think that's meant to be the design because he says, but the but the wings are because Mordred says he described, but the wings are spinning round or yeah, something like that, doesn't he? So. Yeah, so but I like yeah, I think you're right. The whole thing is meant to be a lot more organic, which um which I think is great. Because the other thing is well that control module, which when the Brigadier steps, so it looks like he's just accidentally trod in the T V one, it looks like he's accidentally trodden on a box of a Ferrero Rocher. Um but in but in <laughs> spoilers. Yes. <laughs> but but in the book it's this horrible King Arthur, you spoil us. Surely you are spoiling us. Um <laughs> Imagine that's what I was waiting for all the nights at the round table was with Frere, Peter Prum and Frere Rocher in the middle. <laughs> um, no, but in the book when he treads on it, um, it's almost like a like a almost like a brain sort of organic-y thing he he treads on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I much I much prefer that. I much prefer that description in the book for certain. And the fact that then the the, the sort of snake thing starts to envelop the Doctor. Yeah, and he's crushing him rather than just just knocking him senseless. Yeah, around. yeah. yeah. Um, and also the, that actually talking about that bit um, in the book, the doctor actually thinks he's dying. Yeah, at that point as well, doesn't he? And it yeah, goes, it goes into on the about, fact that yeah. about he, you know, if it it gets to certain... Gallifrey, that yeah, if they go points where death will not, you can, there's, there's no regeneration. You you yeah. will be killed. Yeah, um, which I and also what well, did it all say to the um, he remembers the instructor. What was it? The the classroom Gallifrey turned the, the the kid who wouldn't pay attention. Yeah, which I th- was I think was referencing the doctor, really, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, it was just little things like that sort of pepped it up a little bit. I think really that those, those sort of little bits of backstory, which I, that that sort of helped the story along a, a bit. I, I feel a bit more yeah. a bit more descriptive writing, which which was great, which you, you expect really. Bit, bits I really liked in this story. Yeah. 
were, I think, I think the Rawlinsons in the hotel were much better treated by the book. Yes, the fact the fact that your first inclination that she's blind is sort of giving you a hint to rather than as you get in the TV series of her reading the Braille, the Braille book, book straight yeah. away. Yeah, that the fact that he runs to help to f- the crash of the helicopter. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Yes. Which... And, and, and the whole thing with Lavelle being injured is much better treated in the book, whereas but in the TV series, she's, oh, my knee hurts a bit, and then she basically walks into the hotel later on. Yeah. Which would give no reason as to why the brigadier would have left her to go and get help. But in the book, it's Pat Rawlinson helps her back to the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing as well is when um, Morgane takes all the knowledge from her. Yeah. And in the TV show, she just collapses to the floor. But in the book, she's just left in, in a vegetative state. And yeah. And Pat Rawlinson said, well, you can't, you can't leave her like that. And then and that's when she disintegrates her. Yeah. Which, I th- again, was a better way to do it, actually. Because it, it was sort of like, it was more to the fact that um, in, the, in the TV show, it looks like she was just unconscious. But in the book, it was actually quite a horrible thing. Her mind was completely drained. Yeah. It's just I mean, it, like, it, you know, it, it almost becomes then a mercy killing rather than it does. another act of um, terror as such. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing I thought was handled better as, as well in the book was when um, she gets a sight back. Yeah. And the bit when she when all, the village has been evacuated and she's on the on the coach or bus, whatever it is. And it goes into sort of a sort of like seeing things for the first time. Everybody, isn't it? Everybody. Yeah. And all yeah. the colours and yeah. and everything, yeah. Um, that I thought that was really well handled, actually, and that was skipped over in the TV version. Mm. And if you think that to pad from three episodes out to four, yeah, you think they would have been able to have included that because that was quite near the end of the story that bit as well, wasn't it? Now, there's an interesting thing on this because I've also watched the special edition version of this. Oh right, I haven't had the guts to watch that. Yeah, in the book, when um, the book also. Get, get, another thing the book handles well, I think, is the fact that you get a bit more of Bambera being the, the ambush on them and them actually all believing that they've been killed and couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And their reaction to that yeah. is good in the book, but it's just sort of almost glossed over on the... Well, Ace hates Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart yeah. throughout this because I, I get the bit where he said... Oh, um, the latest one. The latest one. Yeah, she really but, hates being called that. She hates the fact that that he didn't want to go and rescue Bambera and Anselin. Yeah, but it, but in the yeah, it, <clears throat> and that that you can see coming there. But in the TV, yeah. it's just the latest. It's just because he's called her the latest one. It doesn't really um, go anywhere in the TV version, does it? No. That, that it, I think it's meant to sort of set up a little bit of antagonism between her and the Brigadier. It's not until the end when he says, "Ace is all yours. I'm too old for yeah. all this." Yeah, yeah, but. When they then find out that they're when they go back when they go into the hotel, the brigadier takes over there, and it's the thing about a he sees the ashes and says, "I want these buried with honors." Yeah, and you've realised suddenly, a suddenly realised actually, it's not just the people she's seen. There are people dying in this village all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and they are really fighting a war. This is a war, and whatever, which I couldn't remember being in the original in the TV bit. Uh, it wasn't in the in the serialized version, no, no. But it is. They did film it, really. It's in the special edition. Okay. And I thought to myself, that was such a good line. Why was that cut? Surely there must have been something else in that episode they could have cut, like Mordred's cackling for a start. Yeah, it just seems that was one of the such a good bit of that, where the brigadier comes in and it's like, no, this is this is war, and yeah, but every you know. And I do care about my and again it the backs, men under it my backs command up the thing dying. about him being an honourable man yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah, that would that would have helped certainly in the serialised version. Yeah, definitely. That that's really interesting. Then, that's so, really so you interesting. get that, you get that bit. So you get that line, and then they find out that Bambera is still alive, don't they? Yeah, that's it. Which then yeah. sort of then you get into the fact that oh, actually, you know. There's there, there is a lot in there. You sort of Ace starts to mellow a bit towards him a little bit in the book. That's it, and she certainly that does towards, towards him. Or at least realizes now that actually this man is, you know, got something about him rather than yeah. just being another 
authority figure to rally against. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's one, just one more thing I want to I want to talk about. Actually, I think another thing that the book did right was the destroyer. Yes, because I mean, actually, I, I mean, the TV version, I think, for its day, I, I think, oh. the, I think that the, the the animatronic of the master guys, but I thought it was great. I thought it was a, it was a fantastically well realized um, monster. What I was going to say is getting back to the fact that it was a long time since I saw it. When yeah. I was reading this in the destroyer in the book, I finished off. Oh, I can't wait to see how they pull this off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually pleasantly surprised when I actually watched it because I, I know obviously it wasn't going to be as good as the book, but you actually did think. Well, at least it didn't actually make me sit there and go, "Oh no." <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I know. The I think the only thing they got sort of wrong in the TV version, it was a little bit small. Yeah, they could have found a bigger actor or, or done different camera angles, perhaps. But yeah, just, to make just him, bit, yeah. yeah, a bit more to imposing. Yeah, um, but the book version. And, though, and why? And why? Sorry. Why do these sort of demon figures in the the McCoy era be blue? I know. I, I also don't <laughs> get why he had to rip open his chainmail to let off his manly chest as well. So I just sort of um, <laughs> Kenny Everett doing the Bee Gees when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I, the only thing I thought of that was thinking about it afterwards. He's obviously thinking about it too much. Yeah, thinking about his manly chest. Yeah, <laughs> um, his manly blue chest at that. Was I didn't know whether the armor he was in as well had silver in it, and it was constraining him. Yeah, well, so he was get... trying to rip it all off. To... Yeah. I think you sort of get that release himself. Yeah, I think that's the impression they're supposed to give you, isn't it? In yeah. The, um, otherwise. I mean, obviously, he's not going to strip completely naked. They they can't show, you know, the, the, the demons. <laughs> the third, destroyers. Yeah, the destroyers third horn, can they? So, <laughs> um, but anyway. It's the end of the world. Yes, here we go. <laughs> and he's going out in style. Um, <laughs> it's, um, no, the book, I must get this this bit out. The, 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 the destroy, <laughs> that's, what that's what he says. That's what he says. <laughs> Uh, that was a slip of the tongue. Stop. <laughs> what I wanted to say, the book version, he's sort of in shadow, isn't he? Yeah. And when the first time you see him, he's in like a humanoid form. He's in like a bowler hat. Yeah. And a suit. Um, which I think is a lot more sinister. Yeah. And he's got a drooling mouth and, and like savage teeth and everything. And he's sort of almost tried to be more... Um, Almost was suave and charming, yeah. Which I suppose you would expect a demon to be a bit more sort of um, how can I put it? A bit more. Oh, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. I can't think of indecent. I just say tricksy. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, tempting. Intempt. Yes, indeed. Indeed, it was, it was. Yeah, it was a bit more sort of. Um, I, I, I just. I just can't. Right. I just cannot. Yeah. I, I, well, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but then he sort of turns into the destroyer yeah. or the yeah. de- the demon or demon like destroyer um, once he's released, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Which I think is a, a really good way of doing it. I felt. Yeah, uh, it's almost he, he was confined to that humanoid um, shape whilst he was bound in silver. Once yeah. he's released from it, then his true form came out. Um, yeah, well, the- I mean, when Ace says, "Why don't you come in here and get it?" Yeah, get it about the sword, and, she, and he said, "She says she can't." Yeah, and he just he just sort of the, the first time he steps out of the shadows, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? Says, but I can. Yeah, and I thought that was great. Yeah, I love the way that was done. I really do. And he's he's about eight, seven or eight foot tall as well, isn't he? Yeah. So you get that sense that this this is, a, you know, a, a, a dangerous opponent. You know, yeah. so uh, some, yeah, something not to be. Yeah, not to be messed with, not to be trifled with. Yeah, but um, but I mean, I mean, for that, I, I don't really want to sort of. I don't think I've got much more to say on it, really. I think we sort of covered the, the, the same points I wanted to, to cover, unless there's anything else you wanted to... There's, there's, to there's two out. things All right, that struck me on this. First one, odd one, is the whole, in the book, the whole thing... Well, not the whole thing, but but why bother with the dog? But do, do you know what? I've forgotten about the dog. What was the dog? But, um, Peter Wormsley had a dog, didn't he? Oh, it was God, in the car. Yeah. In in the car, and the doctor gets in the back and Ace in the front in the book, and That's the other right. way round in the TV <clears throat> series. Yeah, and then later on, the the doctor pulls out a dog whistle basically to summon the dog, isn't it? As they're being taken away. That's it, because he mentions about oh, 
canine would, would hear have this. Heard this. Yeah, I mean, if it's yeah. a, you don't really need to in this book go back to even bother referencing canines. You've already got the brigadier and Bessie. Yeah, <laughs> you don't really need to then reference things that are not in here. There was a lot of continuity going on there, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And you just got the feeling you almost felt well, that's why the dog was written into it. Just <laughs> like that. So you just thought, well, what was the point? Oh, you, the point? You, thought, yeah. you thought actually, oh, the dog is there's actually going to be something for the dog to do in this. And, and then no, no, not really, no, <laughs> no. You've got a few mentions right the way through the story about how it hid from the storm and whatever. Exactly. Then forgot about till the doctor gets his whistle out. Yes. Yeah. And then, then, it, then it arrives and goes again with that. <laughs> yeah, right, fine, so okay. As as the dog's safe. Now we know the dog's safe. Thank God for that. <laughs> but the other thing, and the other line, just one line that I liked in this, yeah, which I think actually sort of summed up the Seventh Doctor rather well. Okay, yeah, yeah. When they're in the hotel before they go out, and the Doctor goes and rounds up the weapons, the sword and the gun and everything, yeah, and just leaves them on the side before waking them up. And yeah. bear and Anselin up. In the book, on the TV, he just puts them there, wakes them up, and walks out. Yeah. In the book, they, there's a, he leaves a note, doesn't it? It says, if you must. That's, yes. That's and I thought right. that was so Seventh Doctor, actually. Yes, it was. Yeah, you're no, right. I don't, you're I don't right. like guns and weapons, but if we need to use them, then fine. If, if, if you're capable of doing it, then that's up to you, and it helps me, then fine. Yeah. No, you're right. That was that was a good that was a good line actually. That was, yeah. And did you know there is a lot to like about this book? Yeah, there is just it's just a really really slow start. And I would say to people, you haven't read it. I I I would say do so. Just give it give it a chance. Give it yeah. a chance to get through those first few chapters because it is a bit of a slog. I I, I found I don't know about you, Paul, but I did find it a bit a bit sort of slow to begin with. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. It is. It it doesn't quite know whether it wants to be an historical book or a present day book, does it? And it doesn't quite get anywhere going. No, with either story, it's too wrapped up in background for the first half of the book. Yeah, the first right. half of the book is all background, actually. It is. Yeah, it is. Exactly, it's purely that. Um, it, I yeah. say, whether it's... it be the brigadier's background, the knight's background. But it does nothing to actually push the story no. forward, really. No, no, no. So, oh, but we we do recommend it though. I think that's uh, mm. I think that's probably the most important thing we do. Surprisingly, surprisingly, <laughs> yes, we do recommend yeah. it. It's a shock ending to this <laughs> podcast. It's the fact that we actually half actually like this story. Yes, in indeed, indeed. But uh, oh well, that's, well, I'm actually glad I did enjoy it really because I, I said you know the seventh Doctor isn't my favourite Doctor. Um, and I know that the commentaries we've that's the only time we have really covered the Seventh Doctor which is when we've done commentaries and we haven't really enjoyed them either really have we so no. um, to actually come out and say we enjoyed this I'm, I'm actually quite pleased I, I do slightly wonder one of the reasons is that if you actually analyse how much the Doctor's in this and does it's not masses it's not really is it it is, it is the Brigadier story once the Brigadier gets into it it becomes the Brigadier story it does really Oh, that, that's what, if that isn't enticement enough to read this book, yes. I don't know what is really. Yeah. To be honest, really don't. Exactly. Oh, well, okay then, folks. So, um, that's that for this week then. So, next week is a break week. Yeah. That, that's how we're starting off our anniversary month on a break. <laughs> yes. We're, we're resting up. Resting up. So, yeah, we're, we're, what I'll do, I will put out some, um, some of our older episodes that haven't, um, or a couple anyway, that haven't made it, their way onto the new site yet. A new site was actually two years old now. Um, then after that, we'll be back with a big finish review. Yes. And um, now we've selected uh, one. Well, it's, it's, it's sort of another. Could it be class of specials? Um, they were sort of, weren't they? They were leading up. They were specials leading up to Big Finish's fiftieth, weren't they? Yeah. Fiftieth. Fiftieth uh, episode. Fifty. Oh right. Okay. Fiftieth year. <laughs> They've <laughs> been going as long as we have. No. Yeah, that, that was a, <laughs> that was a Zagreus, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to do because there were three stories preceding that, which was um, Omega uh, Master, uh, or that Omega Davros Master. Yes. So we're going to be doing Omega next, which is a Fifth Doctor story. Yes. Um, which we haven't done one for a long while, have we? We haven't. Uh, the last one was Spare Parts, wasn't it? 
Big finish while we cover the Fifth Doctor. So, uh, so yes, that's what's coming up in two weeks' time. So I'm looking forward to listening to that. Actually, should yeah, be good. Right. Hope, hopefully, good. Hopefully, good. Yeah, well, so. We have no idea at the moment. No, because neither of us listened to it, have we? So, <laughs> oh. okay, everybody. So um, until two weeks' time, it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul, and live long and prosper. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.